With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and today I am so excited because we have another longtime sex podcaster on the show, and she's going to tell us all about her new book. Hi, my name is Maisha Battle. I am a certified sex and dating coach and author of This Is Supposed to Be Fun, How to Find Joy in Hooking Up, Settling Down, and Everything in Between. It's true, somehow, someway, Maisha actually makes dating fun again. In this episode, we're going to be discussing her work as a sex and dating coach, what she learned studying sexuality in Amsterdam, dive into her podcast projects a little bit, and why she decided to write the book. She also offers up advice for navigating the world of online dating without losing your freaking mind, dating up to your feminist ideals, and much more. You guys are going to love this one, so let's go. I love that we get to have this conversation. I feel like we're kind of on this kindred sex podcaster path, but I am curious about your journey to becoming a sex and dating coach. And I guess I've never worked with one, so I don't even know, like, what exactly do you do? Yeah, yeah. At the very basic level, you know, sex coaching is just kind of the marriage of sexology, which is what I studied, and the clinical framework of coaching, which is very like goal oriented. So, you know, think about a life coach or a career coach. They're really there to help you tease out what your long term goals are in that aspect of your life and then provide you with guidance, support, you know, helpful information along the way, as well as practical things to do, and I think that that's really key, to get you closer to your goals and to hopefully help you achieve your goals. So with that, yeah, I mean, I studied at Sex Coach U. That's where I got my certification as a sex coach. And there really isn't a certification for dating coaching, but that was something that I thought was just such a nice marriage of, um, you know, how people tend to find themselves in sexual situations. And then also like the sticky parts of of navigating sex in an interpersonal setting. So that kind of became my specialization. And I guess as an umbrella for all of that, I use a feminist lens to look at dating experiences and what, you know, what's going on there as well as, you know, sexual dynamics. So that's my unique perspective, but I learned from the mother of sex coaching herself, Dr. Patty Britton. She like literally wrote the book, um, The Art of Sex Coaching. Yeah. So I definitely feel like it's a, she did a wonderful thing in bringing these two worlds together. I think it's a really helpful framing for overcoming sexual issues. Totally. And I'm sure you have a 
broad spectrum of clientele, but like what kind of people, you know, is it goal oriented, like type A kind of people that come to you? Is it usually people that are just trying to optimize or people that are like having a certain issue? What's kind of the range? It's a mixed bag. I would say they're mostly type A because I am. And, you know, people gravitate (laughs) towards things that feel familiar. And I really do like action oriented things and to do lists and checking things off and feeling like I'm accomplishing something. So, yeah, I tend to get like pretty brainy clients, people who maybe overanalyze their love life (laughs) and, you know, get really stuck on on the details of things. And I'm there to kind of pull them out of that and look more at the big picture and long-term, you know, strategy and things like that. But it is a mixed bag in terms of concerns. So some people come to me because they've never been able to orgasm, for instance, and like that's Mm -hmm. been persistent throughout their partnership journey. And so that's a very specific thing that someone might carry around, you know, with a lot of shame and not really know what to do with that. So working with someone one-on-one can really be helpful. But I think in terms of like what I bring, it is that feminist lens. So people also are appreciative that I'm, you know, looking at aspects of gender and helping them to parse those out. I really love talking to people about, you know, race and how that can sometimes play a role in our dating lives and our sexual experiences too. So yeah, brainy people (laughs) gravitate towards me. That's not always the case. It really depends on the sex coach. And I'm so grateful that there are so many sex coaches out there. So hopefully there is somebody out there for everyone eventually. I hope at some point we don't have to have this profession because everyone's just having great sex. But until that day, there are tons of people out there and they have all different kinds of approaches and backgrounds. So I saw, I mean, you have such interesting education and this show has kind of an international scope. So I saw that you studied at University of Amsterdam and you got a certificate in gender and sexuality. That sounds awesome. What did you learn from that experience? So, so, so much. So I, if I could split my time between San Francisco and Amsterdam, I would in a heartbeat because I think, you know, San Francisco was such a hotbed for our sexual revolution in the United States. Whereas I think in the Netherlands, because historically, and people will debate this, there's been more of a like secular culture, like non-religious culture there, there has been just a more integrated sense that like sexuality is just a part of being human. It's part of our health and well-being. It could be discussed as casually as what you had for lunch. And I did find that jarring at the time. And it took a while for me to understand, oh, you know, this is a different cultural lens. And that's important, too. You know, people come from different cultures and backgrounds. And what they think and feel about sex is going to be influenced by the culture in which they were raised, maybe the religious teachings they absorbed, Mm -hmm. family messages or shame about sex. And then, of course, just your own experiences that you gather along the way. But yeah, day one of one of my classes with the amazing Hert Hechma, I believe I'm saying his name correctly, <laughs> a a fantastic, name. <laughs> beautiful man who wore satin every day, like satin outfits. He asked us all to introduce ourselves, where we were from, and something sexual about ourselves. And this was a class of like 40, you know, international students, a lot of, you know, U.S. students, but from all over the country. <laughs> and yeah, it was just fascinating to 
notice in myself what was coming up and like I was uh-huh. like excited but scared and nervous but I was like yeah I like if I lived in a culture where it was acceptable to talk more openly about this I would be talking about it all the time you know and that was my little like baby Maisha moment of you know maybe that was a little seed of the sex coach in me that was like yeah more people should be comfortable talking about their sexualities that's amazing okay so I'm curious when he was like, you know, encouraging you guys to share this thing, was there a creepy vibe or did it feel like a safe container? No, it felt like a completely safe container. My share was that I had had sex in Berlin the previous weekend. And then on break, when we like were all like getting you know, coffees and hot chocolates, because hot chocolate is a staple of Dutch culture, which also <laughs> I appreciate. So I was probably sipping on a hot chocolate and he came up to me and he was like, how did you you find the sex in Berlin? And I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> like, I don't know. That, like, And now looking back on it, I'm like, I wonder if he has had to change his approach too to even teaching this, given some of the larger cultural conversations right. we're having around power dynamics. And so a teacher asking his student about her sex life, like, what does that? But at the time, I just thought, wow, you know, this incredibly liberated person is like interested in asking me about, you know, what happened to me because I shared something and he had a follow up question. And it was just again, like it would have been like him asking me how the hot chocolate was. Right. So I was like, OK, I got to. I got to get into this, you know, <laughs> I didn't get into too much detail, but I, you know, told him, about, I told him the full story and just how I met the person and, you know, yeah. I love that. Okay. So I just want to touch on your podcast a little bit before we get into the book because sure. you've had some really interesting podcast projects. You had a podcast, Dating White, about interracial dating and kind of at an interesting time, right? Because it was a couple of years ago. We were very much in conversation with that at the time. So if you could just share like what inspired that project and some of your big takeaways from that. Absolutely. Yeah. The podcast came about when my co-host in Keichi and Jaka and I were having these conversations at a kind of women's co-working space in San Francisco. And she and I just really related on this level of being women of color who primarily date white men. And the pitfalls of that, but also some of the, you know, revealing and, and vulnerable and lovely moments of that. And so we had already begun working on it when the pandemic hit. And then it was like, oh, you know, George Floyd's murder just sent this whole other like layer over our conversations Mm -hmm. and we were kind of processing in real time you know to some degree because not only were we thinking about interracial dynamics on a personal level interpersonal level obviously there was this larger cultural discussion going on and then we had like moments of you know awkward like white men from our past surfacing and we were like how do we feel about that like you know <laughs> should somebody like reach out who you haven't spoken to who you don't have a good relationship with should they reach out in those moments of you know racial tension and you know who do we really want to be in conversation with right. and yeah so we were we were it was rough and um we just really wanted an outlet for these discussions and we wanted to invite others in. So season one was really Nkechi and I, and Nkechi is a meditation instructor. So that was also cool to have her because we were talking about 
these really heavy topics. And then at the end, you know, she would offer a meditation and I would offer like a coaching assignment, you know, for people who were listening to just think more deeply about the topic that we covered for the day or to do their own research and homework about something or just to meditate and sit with some information that was really heavy. And then in season two, we invited other people on to share their stories. And, you know, we just found so much connection too. like even with diverse backgrounds, genders, orientations, Mm -hmm. just, you know, understanding that we live in a white dominated culture and that that influences us and our choices for partner on many different levels. And then like, what does that mean? And are we okay with that? And can we change that? Can we decolonize ourselves? You know, like a lot of things came up in those discussions too. That was really, really helpful. But yeah, we we just did two seasons of that and then, you know, kind of pivoted to different projects. I started work writing my book. So yeah, but it was, it was really, it was a really special project to do. Yeah. I mean, I really recommend people checking out at least a couple episodes. I found it fascinating on so many levels and a lot of things to think about. I think no matter who you are in the equation, you know what I mean? So anyway, congratulations on that. Um, And then you also had a podcast down for whatever for like many years, right? From like 2014 to a couple years ago, which totally ties into your work as a sex and dating coach. So just explain a little bit about about that and some of the things that you covered on that show. And especially, I feel like your last season was just such a deep conversation. Yes. Yeah. So the podcast started, yeah, I think late 2013. I was in grad school and so was starting to think about, you know, what my career would be after I graduated. And I was hosting these sex salons in Brooklyn where people could come and I'd, you know, have a topic for the evening and open it up for discussion. And people shared that there was just so much value in hearing other people's stories in the room. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I have this background as a musician and I know my way around recording equipment. It was the early days of podcasting, but I figured it out and just started really with my community and extended community of like, I'm just going to start interviewing people about their sex lives. And, you know, wherever that conversation takes us, it takes us. And, you know, I do want it to kind of be diverse and have a lot of different perspectives, but I want to give people that opportunity to hear themselves reflected back and to broadcast that to a wider audience. And it very much informed my approach to sex coaching. So like even during the time that I was making the podcast, I became a certified sex coach, which was awesome. And then I was like, I'm available, like people can reach out. So that helped me also launch my practice. Fast forward, I think, you know, Me Too was such a cultural dialogue. And I just kept hearing the horror stories, right? And I had had my practice for a couple years and was thinking, there's so much beyond the horror and what what awful things people do to each other. There's also this strength and this incredible endurance and healing that can happen. So the last season of the podcast, I really felt like, okay, it's time to wind things down, but I wanted to end on something where, you know, we were having more conversations about healing and what does healing look like after a sexual assault, a rape, a violation, 
And I, again, turned to my community. I mostly wanted to speak with women who had a unique perspective on this, who had experiences they were comfortable sharing. And so we talked about really heavy things from incest to rape to, you know, how do we transform rape culture through pornography even? Like, it was just a really nuanced discussion that I found I hope it's helpful for people. It's funny because there's one episode which is called Coming Out is Hard to Do. And I still get people who email me and want to be put in touch with the guest who offered at the end of her conversation. She said, if anybody wants support, like I'm happy to talk to anybody. And so I still get emails from people saying, can you connect me with that that guest you had? I I really needed that. And I, I could really use her support. And she's always like so generous to be like, yeah, pass them along. So yeah, I mean, I do hope that it's it's still helpful and relevant. I mean, time passes and things maybe don't feel so current, but I hope that those conversations still stand the test of time. Yeah, totally. You know what? It made me feel like when I was preparing for this interview and listening to that and your other podcast, I was like, man, that year was like or those couple years were rough. Like we were in it. But yeah, um, we needed to have those conversations for sure. Definitely. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hey, privates. Boo, boo, privates with penises. I'm talking to you. (laughs) Our sponsor, Fleshlight, can help you reach new heights with your self-pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And they don't just leave you hanging over there. At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure, and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. What? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with a universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control. And as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And I just want to say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out, wait for the right girl when she comes, and in the meantime, you know you are going to be getting yours and having a good time. So you don't even have to sweat it. And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE10. So you just go to ppupod.com. That's the website, ppupod.com. You click Fleshlight and you use the promo code PRIVATE10 to get 10% off your delicious new device. Again, that is ppupod.com and enter code PRIVATE10 
And it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a fleshlight and get yourself off. So now in your whole evolution, (laughs) there's a book. There's a book, baby. (laughs) A little book, baby. So explain the book, baby. How was it conceived? (laughs) Oh, she was conceived in love within the (laughs) confines of marriage. No. Um, So the book idea came about in like 2018, I want to say. I definitely, you know, had a couple years under my belt with client work. And I was beginning to notice some big trends in how people were approaching dating. Some of the things that I thought, oh, you know, these These are maybe cultural ideas that we have about dating that maybe need to be shifted. And the more I worked with clients, the more I realized, okay, like we probably could use with some more structure. We could use more support. We could use more joy, you know, more fun. And usually when I was working with my dating clients, that's exactly what I got them. So I wanted to leverage the information that I had learned from working with my clients and put it in a format that could reach more people. Because there are several things that I do pretty consistently with my clients to help them get more clarity about their dating lives and what they want. So it was my way to sort of uh, condense how I work with clients over several months into a helpful guide for people that felt actionable that wasn't just theoretical and it wasn't just like me being like you gotta do this this and this but more like there was this kind of workbook aspect to it with lots of activities or you know things to think about things to journal about so that it felt like a an exploration for each person which is again reflective of how I work with my clients totally I think that's like such a thing that sets your book apart from others in this space. I thought that it was so actionable. Okay. So I guess let's start. There are different phases to this, right? And you you cover a ton in the book that we're just going to graze the surface today. But online dating, anything that you think we need to bust out of and any tips for like kind of doing it, quote unquote, right? I know there's no right, but. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So the apps are tools. I think we have to remember that the apps don't run us. We run the apps. Any way that you figure out how you want to use the apps is the way it should be used. There's no like right or wrong way. The developers of these apps aren't thinking about you (laughs) to the extent they're not thinking. I mean, you know, no matter what they say about it's meant to be deleted, like, no, actually, it's meant to like keep you hooked in the app. That's what most apps are for. Right. And so we're, we're kind of fooling ourselves thinking, oh, they kind of have our best interests at heart. Also consider the algorithms. So their mission is to, you know, optimize the ways in which we connect with one another by, you know, having algorithms that help us find more people that we like. But we have to be careful because, you know, some of my clients have said, I never see this type of person show up for matching. And I'm like, you kind of have to train the algorithms to be more inclusive because Mm -hmm. if you swipe right, on only white faces or predominantly white faces on you know any given day, 
then there's a good likelihood that you're only going to get fed more white faces. And you might not have as diverse, and I would argue, appropriate matches for you. You might only be seeing what the algorithms want to show you. So yeah, think of them as tools. I'm not encouraging people to think of like apps as like their enemy or anything, but keep in mind that they're not necessarily on your side and that there there are things that you can do to sort of help yourself navigate through with a little bit more ease. And some of that requires maybe use it, using the paid features mm-hmm. if you can, because of course they know what's going to make your life easier and they put it behind a paywall, right? We just have to kind of, you know, understand and, and suck that up. And then another thing that I think a lot of people struggle with is just not putting enough information out there about why you're here, what you're looking for, who you want to be with, right? And those can also be scary questions to address. So the book does have activities that help you kind of understand how to interrogate yourself to get those answers. And then also even some sample language about what to put in your profile so that you're going to attract people that are aligned with what you're looking for. (laughs) Totally. So you mentioned at the beginning, like, you know, your feminist lens is a big part of how you work. And so when you're dating as a feminist and just feminism in general is just harder sometimes to put into practice than it is to like love the theory. So what's your advice for making sure your feminist values don't get brushed to the side? (laughs) Well, I think, um, I guess what I would offer because I'm thinking about myself is like, Sometimes your feminist principles will be rushed to the side and that's okay. I think if it's if there is more intention behind it, like if it's a conscious choice, right? Like okay. I see this person, I understand that we might not agree 100% on politics, but holy shit they're hot and I think we could have a good time. Then maybe that's something that you would want to pursue. I think like we might hold ourselves to like the highest standard when we could just be holding ourselves to a high standard. And with some reflection, we can go, okay, yeah, I know I'm making this choice that is like not maybe in alignment with what I would normally believe. But for the moment, I'm giving myself permission to explore it, to see, because you never know. You really, you you don't know. Sometimes people give you that like, you know, intuitive hit where it's just like, I just want to spend time with this person. I think Mm -hmm. it could be really fun. And then you do your vetting. Then you, you know, kind of figure out, okay, are we aligned? But, you know, not everybody has to be politically aligned to have sex with each other, you know? Even in a relationship. Exactly. I'm not with, I mean, we probably were closer when we started dating politically aligned, But we're just not, I mean, he has a business. He has like other interests that maybe aren't my priority. And I think when I was younger, I would have said like, no, I will never date someone that isn't, you know, exactly aligned with me politically. And now I'm like, I actually want to know how they think. (laughs) Like, I, (laughs) I actually like it like this. It's just interesting to think about. (laughs) Yes. And everybody has to draw that line for themselves. I grew up in the South and there were a lot of cross-political relationships that I knew of. And I was friends with people across the political spectrum. Maybe not so much today. You know, I think things have become a lot more black and white, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. But, you know, unlike a lot of liberals, I don't think all conservatives are evil. 
And totally. like, you know, and, and conservatives shouldn't think that all liberals are evil. Like there's just far more intricacy in life. So I think part of it is just, yeah, pay attention to who you are attracted to, when you actually spend time with them, how you feel with them. Like that's important. That's really important. And sometimes that does, for lack of a better term, trump politics. <laughs> I love that advice. For people not talking about myself here, but it maybe could be at certain phases, for people in a long-term relationship, still really in love, relationship part of it is really good. But, you know, maybe you get busy, you get in a sex rut, whatever the reason is. I had a thyroid issue for a while and didn't know what was going on and then was like, oh, I think that wrecked my libido. <laughs> anyway, what's your advice for those long-term relationship couples that are going through a bit of a sex rut? Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of funny that you mentioned thyroid because that's such a nerve center for, uh, for your hormones, right? Totally. And like when it comes down to it, we're our sexual desire and drive is largely influenced by our hormones. And so one of the things that I try to help my clients understand who are in long-term relationships is that the beginning of the relationship is often buoyed by the excitement and the novelty of someone new in your life. And so you might not feel those hormonal cycles the way that we do five years in, 10 years in, and especially as we change in age, right? So there's different phases for men, there's different phases for women, and we're not always going to be on the same cycle. So for instance, men have a 24-hour testosterone cycle, and women have a 28-day on average hormone cycle where there's a lot of hormones in concert with one another, and we see spikes and peaks and valleys in our desire. So if you're in a heterosexual partnership, it can be difficult to sort of find where you align. And again, like some of these things might be felt more acutely by certain bodies. You know, there are some women who are just like, I'm horny all the time, no problems here, you know, and that's great and that's amazing. And that's a unique experience for, for their body. But I think it's good to like get that information out there and have people understand that like sometimes just on a physiological level, on a hormonal level, we just miss each other. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the reasons that I recommend regularly scheduling time for connection. Even though a lot of us are working from home with our partners, we're we're just inundated with same, same. You know, we're just constantly doing the same things together. And sexual desire, as Esther Perel puts beautifully in her book, Mating in Captivity, she's like, no, desire doesn't like that. Desire doesn't like same, totally. same. Desire likes novelty. It likes newness. It And so couples that really want to bring that spark back from the beginning of the relationship can benefit from adding in new experiences which, by the way, was so hard to do during the pandemic. So if you suffered low desire, low libido, mismatched libido during the pandemic, please, like you can completely get off the hook for that because <laughs> there was just a lot of same, same. And we weren't able to break out of the, those patterns until maybe recently, depending on, you know, what your health status is now and how much you can engage. But yeah, that's something that I recommend a lot is just like try to figure out the things that bring you both joy, things that you can do, not the same thing every week, because again, mm -hmm. you're, you're just repeating the pattern, but things that you can do that feel accessible to you that can bring in that spark of newness. So you can see your partner in a new light as well. I think that's 
really crucial. You know, we just see them in their work mode and yoga pants, you know, like getting dressed up is fun and going out and trying new things is fun. So yeah, more of that. That's so part of what used to turn me on about dating too, is like the getting ready. And I think that's why, I mean, scheduling sex, I feel like especially when you're younger, like that sounds lame, but it's practical because you know when you have a date, you know what I mean? And then you can get ready for the date and getting ready is part of like feeling hot. I mean, for some people, at least, at least for me. <laughs> so it yeah. totally helps. Yeah. A lot of people have that, that experience. It can be part of foreplay for sure. Yeah. Okay. So opening up your relationship, if you get to that point, and I feel like that's getting more and more popular one of my best friends is Polly. And how do you help people navigate that? Yeah. So I have worked with several couples that were interested in opening up their relationships. I've also worked with non-monogamous people who are navigating sex within their primary relationship or, you know, another relationship or they're dating, you know, they're trying to, to date. So, yeah, I think it's it's great to have a third party present to help to help clarify what each person wants to get from the Mm -hmm. experience. I'm working right now with clients who, you know, my kind of go-to is we need to create some relationship agreements. You know, now that you're exploring and like having these experiences together, you know, what are the parameters? How do you want to proceed? You know, so you don't get stuck on the same issues all the time. Mm -hmm. You can kind of refer back to like, no, we agreed that like Friday nights are our nights. So you don't schedule dates on those. You know what I mean? Like, it's good to have things codified. But as I'm working with them, it's coming to light that like, they might be more relationship anarchists. Like they don't maybe need or want those agreements. You know, some of the things that, that they struggle with are just, you know, they're not logistical. They're just more about like the feeling part of having to navigate a new person in the relationship dynamic. And luckily for them, they're fantastic communicators. And so that's really the space that I give them is just like, let's talk about what happened and what each of you felt about it. And we're just going to give space to that. So the way that I work with couples varies depending on what they need. And that's true for all of my clients, too. But in general, I think starting maybe with a couple quick agreements is Mm -hmm. very helpful. And those are based on, okay, what do each of you want to achieve? But also, how do we keep each other safe? You know, how do we keep each other safe from an STI standpoint, mental, emotional? Sometimes there are kids involved. Mm -hmm. And so you want to make sure that you're doing things in a way that's going to protect the existing relationship or relationships that you have and then kind of move out from there. And then I know you don't get super personal in your (laughs) work, but you've been in a a relationship for a long time, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, almost five years. Almost five years. Tips for making it last. I feel like we met our partners around the same time. Yeah. I mean, find a good one. <laughs> I, that is so, that is exactly right. <laughs> um, I actually, I don't mind getting personal. I did an event last night for the book launch and I, I, I when my partner's there, I like shout him out because I think he had a great profile. I was instantly attracted to what he, you know, what he was selling. I was buying. Like I was just like, he painted a really great picture of what life with him might be. And like, he, that has been true. There's like nothing that I can look back on and be like, "Mm, you said this. And like, I think that was false advertising. It's it's just (laughs) um, 
And I also think for me, because of my personal evolution with relationships and some of the dynamics that I found myself in, like I really needed a lot of therapy. And (laughs) so at the beginning of this relationship, when he was generous enough to give me feedback about some, you know, patterns or behaviors that I was exhibiting, I was like, oh shit, I gotta, I gotta work on this. I've got to be better so that I don't lose what I think is going to be the best relationship that I've ever been in. And so far that has been true. And I think it's because both of us do our own work. He was in therapy when we met. I started pretty soon after we moved in together. And so it was just really important for me to not put any of that on him just to be able to just, you know, bring the best parts of myself to our relationship, which meant I had to deal with the ugly, not so great bits in therapy. And then also explain using what I learned in therapy, you know, explain those things and aspects that are a little darker to him. And again, I have a good one so he can receive that and he can also like bob and weave as I do with him, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's also really important too, is that reciprocity is so important in relationships and it doesn't have to be equal. It doesn't have to be like, well, I comforted you during your hard time and now you have to like be here exactly how I need you. No, that's not reciprocity. The reciprocity is like being able to really see each other and kind of be open and willing to be in that dynamic of relationship. I always tell people relationships are relational. Like there's stuff that we're always bringing to the table that needs to be addressed and and worked through. And it's not always going to feel great. But hopefully at the end of the day, it feels rewarding to have gone through something challenging and to like be loved through it. That's such a gift of relationships that we can give each other. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful way to end. Just for people who might want to pick this up, and there's a bunch of stuff that you cover in here that we didn't get to today. So yeah, if you just want to share anything else from the book that people can look forward to. Oh, I mean, look forward to taking some actions, you know, like if you're tired of reading dating books that just are barking at you things you're supposed to do or think or feel like this is not that book. This is a study of you. And like, I want to help people find the right kinds of connections for them, whatever that means. And hopefully by the end, you will have shedded some shame or guilt around the things that you truly, truly desire. And maybe you will have met some amazing people along the way too that can deliver those things to you. That's my hope. Yay, that's a good advertisement. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. No, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on today. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Private Parts Unknown. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Maisha Battle as much as I did. Don't forget to check out her new book, This Is Supposed to Be Fun, for more insights on finding joy in your romantic and sexual life. And of course, stay tuned because I've got lots more sexy episodes coming up for you soon. And to stay in touch between episodes, follow me at Courtney Kosak, that's K-O-C-A-K, on Instagram and Twitter. And follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and at Private Parts Un on Twitter. For the latest episodes, look down and make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast player now. And of course, subscribe to our newsletter at privatepartsunknown.substack.com. 
and we made it super easy. The link is in the episode description to sign up for that. Shout out to Amy Roush for the bomb-ass theme music. For more info about Amy and her music, check out amyrausch.com. That's Amy, R-A-A-S-C-H dot com. This episode was mixed by my ride-or-die audio guy, Michael Castaneda of Plastic Audio. And after enjoying this content, could we ask you for a quick favor? Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private and give us a five-star rating and review. You guys have been awesome about trying to help us meet our goals lately. We have a goal to hit 275 ratings on Apple Podcasts and 75 on Spotify. And we've gotten a couple new ones on each platform since the last episode. So we are now up to 254 on Apple Podcasts and up to 60 on Spotify. So thank you so much. And we got a new review. I'm so excited about. This is from Ferrari Family. Five stars, obviously. Each episode is a great listen, always informative. I've enjoyed the format, guests, and especially the helpful and detailed information shared. Have a listen and continue to learn and get educated. Ah, yes. Thank you, Ferrari family. If you want to help other people find the show and make me feel amazing, just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private. Or if you're listening on Spotify, you can just go to the upper left-hand corner of our page, click the star button, and then click all five stars. And voila, you have just made my week. Thank you so much. Until next time, I am wishing you lots of horniness and happiness and joyful dating and relationships. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.